Good morning, Turks and Caicos. Welcome to the program, Expressions. I'm your host, Robert Hall, on this lovely Wednesday morning. Uh, I tell you, we have ever so much to give God thanks instead of complaining, complaining. I thank Him every morning as I wake up because it's really a miracle to be alive. Uh, there are many who did not live to see this day, some old, some young, some in between. So if you're alive, say thank God He has brought us this far by faith. Oh, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome you wherever you are throughout the length and breadth of the Turks and Caicos. Whether you're over in West Caicos or Ambergris Keys, whether you're in Providenciales, whether you're in North Caicos and uh, Pine Key, Parrot Key, whether you're in Middle Caicos or over there in the Big South, here in Grand Turk, the nation's capital, and Salt Key, how are you doing? Well, I guess you can hear from my voice, I am mightily fine. I mean, you know, sometimes in life there are those little dark clouds that uh, hover over, but beneath each of them is a sunshine somewhere in the distance. So keep hope alive. Always be optimistic. Let us begin the show with a word of prayer. Let us pray. Our Father and our God. We thank you for bringing us this far. If you've been able to sustain our foreparents through even more challenging times and great difficulties, hardship and suffering to bring us up, how much more should we be thankful and do the same to our children? We pray for the young people in this country that they may turn those who are inclined to criminality and other vices, that they may turn away. And for those who are seeking to redeem themselves, whether they are in rehab or some are even in prison, we pray that they would turn the searchlight on themselves, as so often we blame society without examining ourselves. Today we pray for our guests who are here, in particular our Minister of Health, as he seeks to lead, as he leads that ministry, that you would endow him with wisdom and understanding, and that at all times he will be reminded of the purpose for which he is here, to represent the people. We pray for the government, the governor, and all who administer the affairs of these islands. We pray for the poor, the underprivileged, that those who are in better positions would extend a helping hand. Bless us today, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 One of my avid listeners, Miss Stiles, uh, told me that she woke up this morning with this particular song on her mind. Good morning to you, my dear. I know even if you're driving to work, you don't miss expressions, just like so many we have here in the Turks and Caicos. I get in trouble if I start calling names because I'm bound to leave up something. But I know people like Nurse Jolly and her sister down there in Providenciales, people like Pear uh, and, 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 uh, and his wife, uh, people like Della, and so many others, oh gosh, they look forward to the program. And similarly, I look forward to bringing it to you. And sometimes when you are resting 2, 3 o'clock, that's the time I'm up 
thinking of ideas to keep giving you a stimulating show. Anyway, wherever you are, relax and listen to this lovely song here, Donnie McLaughlin. So I dedicate that one to Miss Styles, who uh, said she woke up with it on this morning, and I'm sure she must be very delighted to hear us play it here this morning. I want to say blessings to all of the people in this land. God has been so good. And by the way, let me compliment Donna the Stunner. Uh, she would not have known, but I was at home doing a few chores, and I was listening to her dishing out some very lovely gospel music. They were really soul-enriching. You know, believe you me, it was lovely, lovely. I do have an appreciation for lovely gospel music. Of course, I like a variety of music. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I have guests in the studio today. <clears throat> One who has been here perhaps a couple times before and needs no introduction I am referring to the Minister of Health, Honorable Jamal Robinson. Uh, he's accompanied with a beautiful lady, but I am not sure she would want to be on air as such. But uh, the minister will perhaps speak a little bit about her own role. But um, as I always do, my programs are not scripted, <clears throat> so there are no written questions. 
the minister will not know where I'm coming from until I reach there. <laughs> and uh, I would not know necessarily what he's going to be talking about until he gets there. And I think that makes it perhaps a bit more interesting. And uh, a very important feature of this show is the call-in. And I want you to be prepared to call in because so many of you tend to beat up on me as if I'm a minister. But I'm not minister for everything, so when you have the ministers in here, you deal with them. The only minister I am is minister of expressions. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> M-O-E, eh? You know what I'm saying? Uh, so there you go. Honorable Robinson is always a delight. Um, thank you for having me, Speaker Hall. It's always a pleasure to be back in the nation's capital on expressions with the number one host in the country to be able to get feedback and, and dig into some some areas that generally the, perf, the, the general public wants to hear about from your questions as well as giving the general public direct access to ask you, meaning me in this instance, the questions that they might have um, not and not enough other opportunity to do so. So like Honorable Hall would have said, um, just get your questions ready. If he touches on something that you um, want to have ans answered, then you don't have to ask your question. But in the areas where there are other other questions that you have um, for myself or in general um, that I might be able to to answer, I will do so um, to the best of my ability. And if I can't have the answer, then I will endeavor to find the answer for you. But I will always say, like when I was a teacher, because sometimes smart children will throw some questions at you that you just don't have the answer on a mm -hmm. given day. Yep. And I always say to other teachers, never give children false answers. You see, some teachers don't want to appear to be weak or not knowledgeable. So rather than tell the truth, you don't have to say you don't know. You just say, listen, I'll get back to that the next class or something like that. But to give them wrong information just to pretend that you know it, right. then that's awful. And I'm sure, Honorable Minister, you're not that type. Definitely not. <laughs> All right. Now, just a little housekeeping item. For the smooth running of expressions, I'm going to suggest that all of our guests, those who would like to be on the show, please give us a week's notice so that management would be aware and there would be no conflict with individuals coming on the show. So it would be good. I know now there will always be some instances where urgent matters dictate, but other than that, it would be nice if we get a week's notice in advance. Um, let me also say, particularly for the benefit of the leader of the opposition, who was scheduled to be on the show uh, some time ago, but because of the Appropriations Committee meeting, which was a part of and was being broadcast, uh, certainly there was no program. And um, it is entirely up to him to call in or call me or management and let us know when he wished to be back. An open invitation was extended to the opposition nominated member and to other ministers and members of the House because 
I would say the more the merrier, not so much for me and the show, but for the public who really want to have a way to not only ask your questions, but make suggestions and in so doing participating in the governance of this country rather than, as it were, leaving it all to just the elected members. So I thought that I would say that. Now on to you, Honorable Minister, and uh, for the benefit of the public, and this is not to intimidate others who are yet to come on, uh, but um, particularly for those who have been on before, when you return, I am widening the scope of questions, not just pertaining to the ministry, but it's time the public get a feeling of whom these individuals are. What make them tick? What are their motivations? What are their visions for Turks and Caicos Islands? And so on. So I will be digging a little bit deeper. You know, like they say, he who seeks for pearls must dive deep beneath the surface. Well, here on Expressions, we're going to dive a little bit deeper. But before we... And I'm not suggesting, Honorable Minister, that what you have to say has anything to do with the shallows of life. But before we get there, uh, I'm going to leave it to you to start off. Okay, thank you. And and it's good to know that we will uh, have a, a broad cross-section of um, topics to discuss. And again, I guess to get to, so persons can get to know me a little bit more and to get the length and breadth, because what, particularly for ministers who are also all-island um, MPs, while we may have a ministry which is specific, our job is also to represent across the, the island. So I know persons would want to hear our views a little bit more on more everyday issues to make sure that the person you were while you were campaigning, you are still that same person while in office, even though your mandate in terms of your role as a minister would have narrowed. Because when we were all on the campaign trail, we would have been talking about various issues across the board, right? So you wouldn't, nobody would have been a one-trick pony. And nobody would have said, well, okay, well, elect me because I'm going to be the minister of acts. So I'm going to focus primarily on acts. So while persons might have, in terms of organizing, speak to a particular issue so we're not all over the place in terms of our structure, no one would know who would be the minister of what because we don't know the election results because if you're proposing to be a minister of acts and you don't get in, then somebody else is going to take that role, clearly. So it's good to to widen the, the, the scope. But one of the reasons I wanted to be here today is particularly looking at the environmental health side of things, because while the Providentialis landfill has been a topic du jour for a long time now, Grand Turk and South Caicos and the nature of the cleanliness here as well as the beautification, particularly after an event like Hurricane Fiona, that is something that my ministry and the environmental department is taking a greater focus on because it's one thing for us, generally speaking, which the mindset has always been, okay, well, Grand Oak needs to clean up, South Caicos needs to clean up, but we have to go beyond just thinking about cleanups. We have to move to a case where we not only want the place clean up, but once it's clean, we need to enhance it by pushing towards beautification. So about last week, Friday, myself, the Premier, the PS um, of Health, as well as the new Director for Environmental Health, uh, had an in-depth discussion after we finished um, our legislative agenda 
on the fr- on the Thursday. We weren't complete, but we had a, a meeting before we went back to um, to committee of the whole, and we basically figured out or we are looking at how we can create the strategy and the framework to be able to ensure islands like Grand Turk, Salt Key, South Caicos, those that would have had damages and that are smaller and have a, the ability to be clean and beautified relatively easy um, that it happens because again, we know persons benefit from clean up contracts but we have to go beyond just clean up contracts. We have to get to a place where we're putting funds um, where we can do proper community enhancement. There was a time where there was community enhancement resources in the budget, and it hasn't worked out the way we would would like because we've had incidences where you're, you're back to cleaning up again, right? Before we came here, me and my PA who was in the studio with me, we took a drive through back Salina. There are still places that have garbage on the side of the road, which I'm sure was encouraged to be put there for pickup. We need to pick that up. But once that stuff is picked up and people have their their yards and stuff clean, what can we do to enhance the beautification of those places? Is it simply making sure that all the walls in certain areas that might have traditional walls with the stone architecture, those blocks we put back in place or the, the, the rocks we put back in place, you plaster it off and give it a nice coat of paint? Give the homes in those areas a nice coat of paint because depending on where you are on Grand Turk and or South Caicos, you can see uh, a palm grove, which is a suburb, essentially. You don't have to worry about it bouncing back because persons in those areas, for a long, long time now, it's always looked like a suburb, right? So we need that feel across and this isn't something that don't leave a breezy break of course no no it's more <laughs> i live in breezy break so you have parts so i just gave that as an example yes, and yes, yes. you know each island we have these suburb looking um neighborhoods where should be the standard for the whole islands and that's where we want to move but we need partners because what we've had for the life of me essentially is government looking to people People, y'all need to do X, Y, Z. People looking at government. Government, you need to do X, Y, Z. But this has to be a partnership because this is our island. This is our country. We have to beautify it ourselves. So we have to move beyond the mentality of, okay, well, just cleaning up. Because, again, Grand Turk sees over 700-plus thousand visitors every year. What do we have to show people? Is it just going to be from the cruise ship terminal straight up to the lighthouse and back and just the corridor? Or can we take them to the to the to the the ins and outs of all of our neighborhoods as a part of tours, so they can see historic Grantor, right? So all of that is something that we have to do, and it, it has to be in partnership that we make this happen. And that's one of the things that we are doing. We're right now in the process of finalizing an MOU with Carnival for a recycling um, initiative here in Grantor. Hopefully, and I, I mentioned this some time to them, make sure we. Add in Salky, while Grand Tuck might be their primary responsibility. Let's add in Salky. Salky is right there. Let's make sure Salky can get their recycling for whatever waste that they're generating there. So Grand Tuck and Salky could benefit from that. So all of that is where we're trying to go because it has to be a mindset shift where we want beautification, not just cleaning up. Because you could see aspects of it. You could see it because people do what they do in their environment. Right, so if your environment isn't tidy, 
you're more likely to drop a cup, a bottle, throw garbage right in your environment. Versus if it be untidy, you can say, all right, well, I'm going to make sure nobody comes in my environment and, and dirty it up. Because a perfect example, when I got married in 2008, uh, my wife is from Canada. We got married in Ottawa, Ottawa, Canada. The majority of my family who came, they marveled at how clean Ottawa was. And I was literally shocked. I was like, why are they making mention that? But they made mention of that because the majority of my family, we usually visit New York. And New York City is a dirty city for the most part when it comes to cleanliness. So we have to get to a place where we emulate those types of things to make sure that, one, we do the cleaning up in the initial and then enhance beautification because once you have pride in something, you're not going to let anybody from the outside come and damage it. So once we move to that, we're going to want people to ingrain it. And on as a backstop, environmental health does have the authority to make people either clean it up or charge you so we can clean it up. We don't want to have to go to that if everybody can do it themselves. But once we get this place clean and start the beautification efforts, and even with the CESA program that hopefully coming up, the $8 million that we have for that, to be able to enhance Middle Street and do all these things. We want everywhere on Grand Turk, and we can do it in South Caicos as well, because South Caicos is a, also a beautiful historic town, right, East Harbor. So we want to do it on both of these islands, Salty, knock out the Salt Islands, make that happen, because this isn't something that is much as much of an issue in the other islands as the Salt Islands for some reason. So where we have our historic towns, we want to uplift, beautify it, make it good. And people might say, oh, well, you're only doing this for tourists. I don't want anybody the tourists. The tourists come in anyway because they can come and they can stay by Margaritaville. But we don't want them to stay by Margaritaville. We want them to be able to enjoy the whole island while they're here. But this is for us because we live here. We have to enjoy our, our country. It's primarily for us because... Once we're in these environments, we are more likely to achieve more, we're more likely to succeed more, we're more likely to be even more productive. So that's my opening soliloquy. Well, uh, a couple of things jumped out at me as you were speaking. I start with, you refer to the fact that a number of you run at large are all-island representatives. Right. And so often here in Grand Turk, people tend to beat up on Honorable Otis Morris right. as if he is the only representative for Granter. Mm-hmm. And I constantly remind them that apart from himself and the leader of the opposition, who has minimal impact at this stage, because oppositions c- cannot do much. Now, in some countries, I know, for various projects, they would budget so much for each constituency and right. that member uh, Could have a little more to say about how it's I, I don't think we've gotten to that stage quite yet. Not, not quite. Uh, it would be nice if you get there pretty soon. Mm-hmm. But the, the point is, there are five other at-large candidates. And I must say, the appearance and the feeling among many here in Grand Turk is that they are not being fairly represented by that five. In fact, they go as far as to say... And if I went to my phone and lots of comments come to me all the time, that they feel like you're neglecting Grand Turk. And since I'm no deep freeze, mm-hmm. I am going to say many say 
that because so many of the individuals in government are from the Caicos Islands, mm -hmm. they say, well, this is like a Caicos government. Mm -hmm. Now I often stand up and dispute that, mm -hmm. that sort of notion. And I've often said, um, even if only for their own political survival, mm -hmm. uh, governments would do as much as they can for Grand Turk, the capital city. Mm -hmm. Because it's not like saying, oh, because I can win down the road, I don't need here. It mm -hmm. doesn't go like that, in my view, not politically. Right. Um, speak to that just a little bit for me. Well, I, I'd start by saying that from a representation standpoint, we could do better with having a greater presence in Grand Arc to begin with, because people love to see their representatives, right? I'll speak for myself, particularly in, in, in that vein. While I might frequent Grand Arc, I haven't, and I've changed this in short order, haven't been as much into the community. So you come in, you get into the office, you work from Grand Arc, but people want more than you working from Grand Arc. They want to feel you and see you within the community. They want you to be uh, a leader in your ministry, but they also want you to be a leader within the community as well. So they can come to you and share their concerns. Because at the end of the day, and I was I was teasing my PA about this the other day, she was teasing me that I'm a PA sometimes. And I said, yes, I'm a people's assistant. Because sometimes you find yourself where the ordinary person can't navigate the government system as well as you might be able to. So while some might say, okay, well, a minister shouldn't have to do acts, you might be right, but are you going to leave your constituent or your person right. in the wind, right? Now, our job is to improve the system so it's less likely we have to deal with it for individuals because you you're trying to deal with policy globally. But in those cases where someone reaches out to you, you must help because, again, you are a representative first because we lack representatives for the House of Assembly and representatives for our area. The ministerial and the executive part, that happens after a premier is selected and after that premier selects his cabinet. So you always got to remember your mandate personally. Now, in terms of whether... Caicos government, granted government, this government right now has the most persons that have direct ties to Granter, probably the history of governance. My mother and myself grew up Granter. That's one at large. Sean, not a Baxalina boy. That's two at large. And that's not to negate my North Caicos heritage, but I deal with Granter right now because I am an all island candidate. Sean David Malcolm, who got cousins from all all over the world, also a Baxalina boy. That's two. Feeney. Feeney's a sulky girl with Grand Tuck ties. That's three at large. EJ, who is, uh, I'm sorry for calling them their, their regular names. No so these are my colleagues, but sure. Honorable XYZ, we get where you're going from. Honorable Sanders, committed from day one to be here in Grand Tuck. Has this house, frequents Grand Tuck, right? Honorable Premier. He got, his, he got his start in politics in Overback, in Bops' seat, right? So right, right off the bat, five of you at large all have significant ties to Grand Turk. Then you can even throw in the Westwood boy, Samuel Bean, who's representing Cheshire Hall as well, has ties to Grand Turk. That's at least seven, including Honorable Morris. So as our duty 
to make sure our presence is better felt because the cries and the concerns are real, you know, because at the end of the day, even if you go back to the to my initial issue in terms of the cleanliness and beautification, we've had a lot of plans for the last 18 months on what we want to see happen in Grantor. All of it hasn't materialized in the time frame and at the speed we would like. So we need to explain what is happening to the residents of Grand Turk, in addition to, of course, the whole country in general, but particularly since we're referencing Grand Turk, we have to explain what is taking place because our biggest issue and governments in the past biggest issue isn't the results, you know. It's the lack of knowing why the results are taking as long as it's taking. Most people, surprisingly, and, and, and they might not believe me, most people and most Turks and Islanders are actually reasonable and patient. They just need to understand what's taking place. So it's our job to make sure we communicate properly, like even the CESA. But the question is, mm-hmm. are you all communicating properly? No, we're not. What about town hall meetings to meet the people? Because many say, oh, in campaign times you see them everywhere. But now that elections are over, we hardly see them. I see where uh, the government... We have another... We have a round of town hall meetings coming up. It got postponed, I think, primarily because... I think it was linked to to Fiona um, in the aftermath of that because we were supposed to have them this month earlier, but they're going to start from November 1st for Salkey, and then I think the others will continue on once the Premier and the Deputy and, and, and others come back from the JMC meeting in the UK. So... We're going to do that, but that will be the first of what we hope to be many because, again, consistency with the communication is important because coming to the people essentially after 18 months of all kind of work being done, all types of progress being made, and now coming to them, they feel like it's a bit late, but we have to make the correction with the communication strategy and then progress it forward because again people are reasonable they will understand what is taking place but we have to tell them and i think given that we are now in position we have we have our deputy um communications uh chief in place mr chemo times i'm not sure when we'll get the um the chief communications person um, on the ground as well i thought she was in place already the lady yes or, well I'm not certain because I haven't seen anything come out um, officially on the on the on the grapevine. But so that yeah. you might know more than me in, in this instance. Uh, but I don't, I don't profess to. But anyway, no. But yeah. but the point is, we're we're putting the infrastructure in place to be able to properly communicate with the person, with the people. So that that's one part of the communication strategy, right? So that's from a government standpoint. But I still believe, as MPs members of parliament we need to do more engagement with the public even beyond what we will likely do to properly communicate um, our government policies that we are putting in place giving an update properly on where we are with the citizens contract and all of that we just need to do more because the people expect more not generally expect more they expect if we have 14 out of the 15 seats we have to do Herculean task and get it done. So we just have to step up our game and live up to those expectations. 
Getting back to the environmental side of things and the cleanliness or lack thereof, I have seen some efforts um, since the hurricane and cleaning up and for the greater part, pretty good job done. Although It's a little echoing, but anyway, let me see if I can speak over that. <laughs> All right. Uh, that um, for the greater part, uh, some good work was done, but as you mentioned, there are some spots that need to be tidied up. I know there are personnel, but it reminds me of the days when I used to be the minister and uh, the late Gachet. I would always give him credit. If I drove around, Just a minute, we'll take a little break. Let's see if we can sort out a little technical problem here. And uh, I'm going to ask my technical operator to play a, pull up a lovely song that I like. Uh, a good friend of mine, a young lady years ago, used to love this song. And uh, I love it, and every time I play it, I sort of remember her, though she's many, many, many miles away, you know. And, um, of course, they say she's thinking of a lovely island, island for two. Well, I don't have to think about a lovely island because we've got so many lovely islands in the chain. So all I've got to do is choose one and go out there and be Adam and look for Eve. All right, let's go.
Yes, that's uh, Island for Two. Let me hope that you all have enjoyed that little bit of music there. Well, at least it seems as if... I'm going to make sure, for the time being, turn my phone off completely. Because uh, um, I'm still getting that echoing sound, and I don't know where it's coming from. Well, it's off, so for sure, it is not my phone. And so, although it's distracting, I guess I will soldier on. Let's take another break, uh, play that music a little bit more, uh, Donna, and then you can come around here. Let's see if we saw that something. back to expressions i hope you enjoy that little interlude of music i'm back here with uh, my guest honorable jamal robinson and getting back to the question of cleaning up uh, many individuals have been complaining bitterly about the roaming donkeys and horses and it's almost impossible to keep the place clean with them roaming like they do and running in through people's yard sometime running across the road, particularly when mating and causing, you know, accidents and the like. Uh, while every life is precious, I shudder at the thought of one of them running through and hit a golf cart with tourists coming in, you know. Um, I hate to imagine it, but what plans, if any, are there to deal with that situation? Because even when the various departments uh, launch cleanup efforts and people may put 
um, garbage on the side of the roads or whatever. They're often scattered by these animals. And then here in Grand Turk, my gosh, too many roaming dogs. And uh, I dare say very irresponsible dog owners. You'll go somewhere and a dog already has one litter of puppies. And uh, they look so scrawny. And yet they allow them to have yet another litter. It is disgusting. We have to get down to the matter of enforcing. And if it means mashing somebody's toes, mash their toes, mash their feet, action has to be taken. Honorable Robinson. All right, thanks for the question, um, Honorable Hall. Now, unfortunately, that direct responsibility no longer falls within um, the Ministry of Health because that is a function under the Department of Agriculture, which is now with the Ministry of Tourism. But I can agree something has to be done, and particularly for the donkeys and our horses, there's simply a couple of options that we have to explore. And if we go the route of making sure they're penned up for the wild donkeys and horses who don't have any particular owners, um, we have to ensure that after a little while we don't have them going back on the, the streets um, for persons to go catch them again and then put them back in the pens, which have happened in the past, right, as a, a, a de facto means of creating some jobs for persons. And alternately, um, there are countries that are willing to take the donkeys off our hands, and I believe one of one proposal is for donkeys to be uh, transported to the Dominican Republic to relocate, relocate them there. Now, that's something that, as a public, we have to determine which route is the best because clearly they have historic, historical significance of being on the islands, but um, to what extent are we going to tie in what we've had historically to where we want to go um, into the future. So I think that's a serious conversation we do need to have because right now it's kind of in a, in a limbo because we're, we're not, as a government, putting them in a pen to get them off the streets so there isn't the, the, dung, the dung issue as well as um, potentially causing accidents, which does happen. But we, aren't, we haven't made the decision either to be able to um, basically export them, send them out of the country altogether, right? So that's a decision that I believe once we have the, the uh, town hall meetings coming up, I think that's a question we should pose as a government to the general public to get their feedback on how we should be dealing with it because, again, you have the historical significance as well as you have the present-day nuisance. So there is a balance. So maybe it isn't a case where we have all of them taken off. Maybe it's a, f a few that are left behind for the historical significance that can be um, housed in a particular area that persons can view them. And in terms of the horses particularly, there are owners of horses. So those persons who we know own horses, we have to ensure that is enforced, that they take care of their horses as well. So that's a part of it. And the same thing would go for 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 the dogs, or the wild dogs. If they're ownership, they have to make sure they have um, their collars, and then otherwise they might have to be euthanized because they are a terror in some areas and some places throughout the country. And I'm sure the Department of Agriculture is pushing 
for that. So I just think in that instance, they just need to get the requisite manpower on granted, particularly to carry out their mandate because they know they have to do. They have a new director in place, and she's pretty good. She's been here before, so she has a good feel for the a lay of the land, so she will be able to assist with that. So I think it's just a matter of making sure they have the appropriate resources to carry out their mandate, particularly when it comes to the stray dogs, because certain certain locations within the country, eh, no persons can't walk in the morning. They can't walk in the evening without a stick, without a big rock, for fear of being attacked. And that's something that is unacceptable. So definitely, I'm sure Honorable Conley is, is going to be on top of her team to make sure we get some results, given that it's their responsibility now, which isn't um, under the Ministry of Health directly anymore, but that's something that we will assist with and, 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 and um, push from the environmental health side. We have a, our paths intersect. We'll definitely provide the support. Now, I'm receiving some comments here on... Um from our listeners. Let me give you the more pleasant one first. Uh, Georgina Stiles up in the United States, I think in New Jersey, she says, please tell you uh, thanks for the good work. And said she greets you with a good morning. All right, that's good. Now on to some of the others. And uh, this person says... It feels as if we are forgotten most of the times, referring to Grand Turk, the sentiments I expressed on behalf of some before. Said during election time, we were aware that they were coming before they leave Bravo. We only hear they are here when we, uh, or we only know they are here when we pass them. Hurricane come and gone, we have yet to see or hear from them the people we campaigned for in 2021. Come 2024, they are coming back to us the same people. Forgot people to campaign, those who campaigned for them. There are a number of these kinds of comments that come in, and I must tell you, Honorable Minister, uh, they are not just coming from PDMs as some people would think. Some are coming from your own loyal supporters. And again, um, to to the earlier discussion when you, you brought up those sentiments, essentially, um, it, it remains the same in terms of not only do we have to communicate better in general about what we're doing as a government and the policies we are implementing and what policies might be holed up and giving people proper updates. That's the, that's the global need for communications. But as I would have said, we have to also do a better job at being within our communities because although we might come up and work from our offices here, people want to be able to feel you, to be able to touch you, to be able to communicate directly with you because, again, as all professional PAs, as the people's assistants, that's the only time some of their issues can move forward. So that's the only time their issues can move forward and get assistance because they're not having the ability to navigate through the government systems, which can be a lot and can be daunting sometimes, where it, always, it almost seems like there's roadblocks, right? We need to help persons navigate those procedures for 
um, for them to get the results that they want. So definitely that's something I'm cognizant of. That's something I intend to improve myself, and that's something I would encourage all of my colleagues to do as well because I've had over the weekend um, I stayed for my cousin's funeral on Saturday. Um, Tamia Simmons, who was violently killed um, September 4th in Providenciales, and we were here for the entirety of the week. And I, I went and had a frank discussion, essentially, with the boys who were at a farewell party for Ma Jones. And the same sentiments that is being expressed there, they express it, you know, we need to see you all more, feel you all more. So that's what we have to do because we can't wait until 2024, late 2023, for persons to now see us again. While we work on their behalf, we still have to be accessible. We might not be as, as accessible as we were on the campaign trail, i.e. every single day um, because you're focused on campaigning, but you still have to be accessible. So if you can't get to somebody that very afternoon, try the day after, even if it's the day after that, but get back to them. A simple message to say, hey, I saw your message, I've seen you, I will get back to you, or can you send me a message quickly on what the issue may or may not be? Just let me know what the, the call is about, because it might, 9 out of 10, it might not be you as a minister or MP that deals with the concern directly. It might be a concern that somebody else you could reach out to or you could point them in the right direction. And even beyond the concerns, they just want to see you. Again, these are the people whose pot you would have eaten out of. These are the people you would have sat to their table and discussed the future of this country. So now that you are elected, it's unacceptable that these same people can't have those conversations to find out how is it going. Because we knew how it was, but we also have to touch on how is it going because that's the only way they're going to have confidence in you to be able to be confident to send you back on their behalf and they wouldn't know and coming up with excuses or reasons later on isn't good enough because the one thing i know and i'm sure my colleagues also know the electorate is changing ever so quickly so what was acceptable 10 years ago 20 years ago 30 years ago 40 years ago is not acceptable today and that's part of the reason why we're seeing governments change so quickly so if we uh, want to be ostriches and put our head in the sand then that'll be to our detriment so again I believe we will do better as a government in terms of bridging the gap of concern with communication globally and directly with persons and I can assure you as an individual all island MP I will do better Having said that, let me throw a little hypothetical to you. Mm -hmm. You, your party secured a 14 to 1 victory in the last elections. Mm -hmm. If elections were held now, what do you think would be your fate? And not just you as an individual, I'm talking about your party. I think we would hold on to the government, probably 8-9, eight, 8-9 nine, eight, nine seats. And that isn't only because what we would have done necessarily, but I think it would be because there's not much of an alternative right now. When you, know, you say eight, nine seats, you're talking about eight, nine out of the 15? Right. So you are conceding that much to the opposition? As you see it? Right now? Yeah. In the midst of what 
Because remember, Ms. Hall, you just read comments. Yes, I did. From the general public. Right. And as you said, not PDMs who you would expect. P and P's who are our supporters. So, given the lay of the land and the historical patterns of how seats and elections are won, the hole we would have to dig out, which we are in a hole, comparatively speaking, to bridge the gap in a seven-week campaign window, we would be able to do enough based on our racket so far to hold the government, but we would be foolhardy to believe we would win the same 14 seats. So, for me, I believe we'd retain the government, which actually isn't a bad place to be in, because we have two and a half years, or even if some say 18 months before we get into the last year, which is the real campaign season. We have 18 months to course correct that we wouldn't only win eight to nine seats. We would win up to the 14 again, or maybe even 15, but wow. it's up to us. I'm a realist. Well, you preempted my question because I was coming back to you uh, that uh, if, um, as it's expected to be, is it in 2024 uh, elections? Um, 2025. 2025. Well, anyway, you already rightly said you have some time to work. But your earlier answer was if it... Because uh, you, you said today. Today, yeah, today. So we have to I, be able to I, be, I, not where I would like it to be. Right, I understand you. Well, I can tell you, Eddie must be smiling ear to ear. <laughs> but he doesn't have an election data. Smile ear to ear. Yeah. But while on the other hand, I am sure the Premier isn't too pleased to hear that one. But anyway, uh, perhaps he need to do some checking then, you know. Anyway, um, let's see. Um... Michelle Mills says, good morning, Honorable Robert Hall, always listening in. We need to see better for Grand Turk, especially for the needy and homeless. It breaks my heart. And then she goes on to compliment you to say, Honorable Jamal tries his very best to communicate with his people. He's a born leader, and I wish him well. Wow. Thank you, Pastor Michelle. <laughs> or Pastor. All right. And uh, someone says, well, two comments here. Remind the minister that there was a commitment to have the government minister spend significant amount of time in Granter. And then the person says, whether humorously or seriously, tell the minister he just conceded that he will lose his seat. <laughs> <laughs> I sure I can be one of them to that. <laughs> But yeah, but on the, the 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 point of the, I guess the the homeless and the elderly, um, where possible and and where space allows, um, I think those persons need to have a, a proper assessment with social development in the first instance to see what um, assistance that that is out there because we would have increased the the assistance significantly for various persons across the social um, spectrum when it comes to uh, the their program. So that's that's the first instance. So they can either try to get an assessment or reassessment, or they can speak with, depending on their age, the, uh, not the special needs, the wellness center. So but special needs and wellness centers to see whether or not they would be a fit for being taken in in the wellness center because we wouldn't want elderly Turks and Caicos Islanders who don't have a home not to be able to have a home. So that's another 
potential avenue where they can receive assistance. So either social development on the financial end, but in terms of physically housing them, social development. I mean, I mean, uh, the wellness center. Sorry, is probably another another option for for them. So, um, Parcel Mills. If you know of any particular person, she can always reach out to uh, Miss Patty Ann Bean, and she can do an assessment. Or Miss Tiffany Thomas, uh, the social development side of things, to be able to to offer assistance because you have to en- engage with the the particular stakeholders to be able to at least get an assessment to figure out why things are happening the way they are because we wouldn't necessarily know specifically what is taking place at any given time unless it's race. While I am referring uh, to a number of texts that's coming in, let me remind you we have gone almost an hour now and so it is that time when we'll open the phone lines. Uh, If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to do so. The number to call is one nine hundred twenty two twenty two zero zero seven. Like I say, don't wait till you see me under the tree or at somewhere when I'm relaxing and come telling me about this, that, about the ministry or minister. This is your time. We got the man in the house. One nine hundred twenty two twenty two zero zero twenty two twenty two zero zero seven. All right. Sometimes you try to um, multitask, and that doesn't work too well. We have our first caller for the morning. Let's see if it's from Providenciales. That's my guess, or Grand Turk. Which one? Good morning. Yeah, Welcome. What you can get a bonus if it's from Providenciales? I mean, I guess right. I figured it's Provo. I'm going to take it on Provo then. I from both. All right. <laughs> Good morning, Skipper. Okay. Good morning. Good morning, Honorable. Robinson, how are you, sir? Not too bad. Good morning, Mr. Stubbs. Yeah, my uh, my, my 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 question is um, um, to you um, as one of the persons who I feel looking maybe to be the next premier is what is your position on the legal squatting, the legal immigration, and crime, and what? Do you have any plans, or what would you do to stop this mass immigration problem that we have in Provo? I know you're the minister of health, but you got to be able to, you know what I mean? I don't want to know health question. I want to find out what you'll do on that. Thank you. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Stubbs. In the first instance, dealing with the illegal squatting and the illegal immigration Presently, we have within the National Security Secretariat a uh, task force dealing with irregular migrants and irregular, irregular settlements Sorry, right now. So we have to enforce the law when it comes to squatting on government land first and foremost. That's, uh, that's the beginning of it. Secondly, we have to encourage persons who have irregular structures on non-government land, meaning the owners of the land, they themselves, and with the assistance of planning, they have to either upgrade those structures to planning standard, or they have to be torn down. Now, the law as it exists says that if you are an employer and you bring an employee from overseas, 
you have to ensure they have adequate housing. You don't have to house them, but you have to ensure that they have adequate housing. So why it is important, and I can tie a few issues here, why it is important to have the review of a living wage is because you can't expect to pay somebody, let's say, five fifty, which I, which is the current minimum wage. Six twenty five. Sorry. Six twenty five. Okay, increase. So six twenty five presently, and have them live in an apartment that is at least eight hundred dollars, seven hundred dollars. At least thinking about providentialities, and be able to to live appropriately. Right, so they are likely to be drawn towards those structures where you can pay maybe two hundred and fifty, maybe four hundred dollars, and these are the same people who would be within our various industries filling roles out, but having to leave their jobs and go to these environments. So there is a disconnect, or been a disconnect, with the housing issue, and we are working on overall housing policy within the ministry of PPID so that'll help help deal with housing stock being available appropriate housing stock so we're on the right track but what it boils down to is the enforcement of law because the squatting issue isn't something that just came up since we've been in government this is something that has been growing and evolving over time. I believe the song about Trouble Up and Bossy Yard was yes. something what, that happened decades ago right. that how many Bossy Yards do we have now across mm-hmm. this country because we didn't take the time back then to deal with it right. up front. So it is our job to deal with it because if we don't, it will just continue to spread because, again, this even connects to the environmental health and the cleanliness and beautification strategy, right? What type of Turks and Caicos do we want? We can't have a Turks and Caicos where only the corridors where tourists frequent are at world-class standards or look pretty, but the places we have to live in, the places we have to abode, are not, because this is our country. So we have to take the law, and I understand persons always come with the human rights argument. My thing is, particularly with illegal persons, human rights can't trump a country's law. My law was in place before you came here illegally and occupy illegal structures and doing things against the law. So with the immigration, we have to enforce the law. And we went to Lent to increase the various penalties. We have our new sheriff, in town in Honorable Mushgrove. So we gave the people the tools to be able to do more. So persons just have to enforce the law. So for harboring, there's a penalty. For helping with the trafficking, there's an increased penalty. So all the aspects, at some point, if we intend to turn the tide, you have to put your foot down. So if the tide rushing in one direction, we have to build a dam to stop it and redirect it. Otherwise, we're in trouble. Now, when it comes to crime, clearly gang violence and everything associated that with, with the guns, drugs, even human trafficking of late, 
we responded with 12 timely bills that will give the law enforcement and judiciary the tools to be able to combat it that they did not have before. All of them may not have been perfect, but it is the start that we need. Successive governments, especially this one, has provided the requested resources. We want results just as much as the public wants results because we are the public. We're just a representative of the public. So like I said last weekend, my family member was murdered. I had to go to a young 23-year-old person's funeral. Other families and throughout the Turks and Caicos had to do the same over this six-week period where we had 15 murders inside of our country. Crime is serious business, but not only we have to deal with the issue where it is, we have to stem it before, because you could tell from primary school the trajectory of a child, whether they can end up in jail or in the criminal activities. That's how early science and social science already dictates based on you not being able to catch them. So we have to do more in the schools. We have to provide more programs. Just recently, the Police Action League, I believe, wrapped up, right, in Providenciales. Um, in Providenciales, we are children from across Providenciales, I think up to 150, were put in about 12 teams of varying ages from, I believe, as young as about 8 up to 16. They were on these basketball teams. And the key to that which I found, they didn't put them in teams based on their area, you know. They put them and they mixed them up. So you had persons from all over Provo on teams, on these 12 teams. So what does that do? You don't encourage your tribalism to say, okay, I'm from the Bight, I'm from Five Keys, I'm from Q-Town. Because the person you have played six weeks to eight weeks in a basketball league is from Q-Town. You might be from Five Keys. So when something happens outside the league, are you going to save your friend or are you going to go with your, your other boys and go against that person? But if all of us mix up, everybody can have a friend from somewhere. So we're not likely to war because we are, we've all come up in a league together. So we can do more activities like that for young people particularly the young men who are the crux of some of the problems. And we're seeing the neglect manifests now. We're seeing the lack of opportunities for fraternity and fellowship from these persons manifest now. A person isn't a criminal at the time they pick up a gun. That's something that develops over years and years and years and it crescendos to them picking up a gun. Right? So we have to Intervene the same way we, way we have to intervene in crime itself and intervene in illegal immigration itself. We have to intervene in the lives of our children ahead of time because it's easier to stop or to fix a broken child than to fix a broken adult. Far easier. And having programs, even though I'm, I'm not sure if it's currently working, but why would we have a I forget what the program name that the, the prison, uh, the, the rehab program, second chance, chance for change. Yes. That's after a person has been done the criminal act, gone to, to jail, and they're coming out with a chance to change. Let's, let's get ahead of that. 
right? Let's let's get ahead of that. So, so from that standpoint, that's where my mind is, and I believe as a government we're doing um, a lot of those things already. So we just need to be in a position to to reap the results of that. So we, I, I believe we're on the on the right track. So we're just making the resources available to make it happen. Okay, we had a caller, but I guess they got tired of waiting. They can call back. But while waiting on that call. I'm going to go into an area that's pretty dicey, and some people wouldn't want me to even touch it, but I'm going to go there anyway. Um, we have a caller there. Caller, go right ahead. Welcome to Expressions. Uh, good morning, uh, Mr. Hall, and good morning to the Honorable Minister. But let morning. me clarify so you all know exactly who this is, because my boy thought is how he is doing, so this Patterson William. Listen, Honorable, um, the question that I would want to ask, based on the statement that you just made, right, it touches my heart in the sense that... Um, I have respect for you as a young man. I have respect for you as somebody that I believe genuinely cares for our young people and what have you. I think part of the problem for us as advocates on behalf of young people is sometimes the vision isn't clear. And the reason why I'm saying that is this. I remember some years ago, Mr. Dickinson was one of the people that initiated the building of that facility that we're now trying to get finished over um, adjacent to the school. In terms of the timeline to get that project delivered, we're talking approximately 10 years. By the time that project would have morphed, um, we now don't even know what the purpose and intent of that building is. We started out with a vision that said we are catering to young people, right? Basketball, cadets, youth empowerment, all of the above. By the time that would have walked through the various processes and all the various governments would have had their input on it, and I'm not saying that that is not necessary, but by the time that project would have touched the ground, I'm hearing now it's um, primarily shelter. And so the question that I'm asking is, I'm not saying that we don't need shelter, but again, where is the focus surrounding these young people? Because the young people are saying, all right, listen, we want to have the same kind of access that they have in Provo. And I think for us, the whole situation is, we're still playing this one island against the other thing. We, are, we, we have all of the bells and whistles in one community, and that was the vision was, you know. The vision was to bring about some type of environment where we saw that there was an even playing field across all of the islands. Okay, we got an indoor stadium in Provo where the young people could get together and hold different types of festivities and so on and so on. We got one in Grandpa. Okay, after we nailed that one up, we're moving down to South Caicos and we're moving on down to, to North Caicos. And, and we can create a similar touch and feel across all of the environments to make sure that our young people know, listen, or y'all are being prioritized. Y'all are being highlighted as the next generation. And I think we got to stay true to focus. And by that, I mean, we got to be more expedient and more purposeful and more intent in terms of trying to deliver these projects and to deliver these things more faster. Because by the time we would have started that project, by the time it's delivered, the generation that we were trying to reach, they don't grow up. And so what I'm trying to say is that it shouldn't take us 10 years for us to deliver such a facility, especially when we know we have money and all of these kinds of things. Listen, I'm of the opinion, if we want to build shelter, build shelter. If we want to build youth facility, build youth facility that is purpose-built so that the young people would know and be able to identify with the fact that, listen, this is something that our government is investing on our behalf that we are going to be able to utilize. And now we're in a situation where we don't even know what the circumstance is going to be with regards to young people having access to that facility, primarily because it seems like most of the facilities now we got we just got them for name, and in terms of the young people who we are trying to focus on, being able to get into these facilities and utilize them is, is a challenge. 
And so the only thing I would say to your government, based on what I hear you say, is I think in this particular vein, you all need to change focus. Because you all started out with a, a heavy current of young people behind you all. But I think based on my own assessment and hearing you speak, I think you're beginning to lose touch with the youth in the country, and you all need to re-engage, and you all need to put some constructive things in place that are focused towards youth. I understand, and I look at the budget. I see the regimen. I see all of these various initiatives. I see the e-government. I see all of these various initiatives. But I don't see that purposeful intent of reaching out to young people and to giving them facilities and more money. I hear of scholarships. But I want to see more direct involvement in terms of youth engagement and money being spent in youth facilities. Anyway, thank you, sir. Thank you, too. Thank you for your impassioned uh, question and commentary, Mr. Williams. I mean, first, first off, nothing should take 10 years to go from idea to what is the building phase because we haven't even gotten to the stage where the, the project is complete. Now, unfortunately, sometimes people have varying visions for what they want to see happen. And unfortunately as well, particularly when governments change, um, rather than continuing on with a project as is, people want to enhance it or put their stamp on it, right? So that's that could be why, to an extent, you would have seen a morphing from the original idea from Mr. Dickinson and, and yourself to what we have now. So that's the first thing. So 10 years is unacceptable. But unfortunately, that is uh, or was more than likely a result of the, the times and the changing and persons who were pushing. Now, while this is in my ministry, I'm pretty sure that the focus of that building, which is the equivalent of Gus Lyprin, is not for shelter and shelter alone. Can't be. If it is, whoever pushing that or where are we getting that from, they are misguided and that's just, they're talking foolishness. While shelters are needed on all islands, that can't be the only focus, which brings me to what needs to happen and will likely happen programs too often where we have fell down as a country and successive governments we've been too focused on infrastructure because infrastructure ribbon cutting is what wins elections not functionality if everybody could deliver a shiny new piece of infrastructure you get to take pictures in front of it cut the ribbon but nobody goes back and says, how is that facility being utilized? To get to the young people, we need programs. That's why I was highlighting the Sports Police Action League earlier. Now, the director of sports and his team, Sir Jared Forbes and company, they are doing oneness with sports and programming across the islands where possible. So I know once they get their hands on that infrastructure when it's finished, the same thing will happen. We need not to only invest in what people believe, as my honorable AK usually says, something that's sexy. We need to actually make it worthwhile and impactful. And the only way to make it impactful is the programming. That is the key because we have facilities 
across this country. And they don't have to be perfect to program, you know, right? I learned to shoot a basketball on Good Street on a light pole with a crate. That's not a facility. That's how I learned to play basketball. I learned to play tennis, the little piece of tennis, road tennis. You'd mark off a couple of lines with the chalk, uh, chalk rock in the road. You do your serve and you hit and whatever because we didn't have the tennis courts to go to down down uh, the reef, coral reef down in, in, in the north, those tennis, those tennis, those tennis locations. So programming is where we have to go, and that's where we'll go. And the last thing before the, the caller comes in, you make mention of it, the idea of vision. Where there's no vision, the people perish. I believe we have a vision as a government. I believe we want to progress this country and its people primarily, not just the economics of it. When you hear the Premier say human capital development, he is talking about developing us, making us, the people, be in a position to progress. When I talk about, all right, well, we need to improve our environment, that is so the people of this country can feel a way and feel proud to take people all over this island, visitors from the other islands to this island and other places across the country and be proud of where we live and who we are because we are people with a rich heritage. And that's something that can be on display not only for tourists but for ourselves, right? So vision is very, very important. Honorable Minister, I have a barrage of questions, but I'm going to defer to the caller. Uh, Caller, go right ahead. Thanks, Mr. Hall, and greetings to you uh, in the minister and all in the wonderful and matchless place of our great God and King Jesus Christ. I actually have two questions in a, in a comment uh, for the minister, and let me see if I can say this in, in two minutes or less. Uh, minister, I heard you said something about homeless people, and, and what the other type of people uh, you said you said it is in this country, are they are those persons who are referring to homeless, are they Tux and Caicos Islanders? And then the second question is this. I noticed that uh, the Bahamas uh, government uh, left all of the uh, COVID restrictions in terms of visitors to the Bahamas for those persons who are not vaccinated. When y'all going to do likewise? And finally, I hear you said something about your expectation of what you think going to happen in the next general election. And all of this reminds me about this man in the Bahamas, he was a politician and, uh, during the Salinan Penlin time. Penlin had asked him to, you know, to, to get involved in politics, and he was reluctant to do so. And he asked his father, and his father told him, well, if the prime minister called on you to serve the country, go and serve the country. So he went and served the country. Uh, he won the election. Uh, they get rid of all of the, he got rid of all of the shanty time in his constituency and free court. And then the next election, he lost by a small majority. And I think he, I think he had petitioned the court. But anyway, the next time uh, he, there was the election, he gone again. And, and he basically lost by a, a, a greater majority, but not, not, but not that, that, that much. It is somewhat sad to, to hear, but that's, like you said, reality. It is sad to hear that, that you all are going to lose by that much. I always, I always was thinking, if y'all guys really do the work, what you say y'all, 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 y'all are come to do, y'all should be able to make a clean sweep in the next election, God's willing. 
But the way how you are guys behaving, yeah, I, I can see why 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 you expect we are to be an eight nine. Thanks, man, and bye. Thank you very much, Jonathan. I'll allow the minister to respond, then I'll get on to some of my other questions and invite calls afterwards. Thank you. Um, just to, 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 to clarify, and I think you clarified it a little bit to the end about me saying that the 8 to 9 to win. And it wasn't talking about general elections when it's constitutionally due. It, the question was whether where would we stand today? Yeah. And this is in the case where primarily we have been functioning where we haven't been properly communicating with our the general public. So we have time to to improve on the areas in which we are falling down, which is communication in general, what the good we are doing, as well as communicating where the hiccups are and what we would like to do. So, so the communications as of today, you can't you can't fix that in a seven week campaign to say, all right, well, we can sweep, right? While I believe we've done great things, free education, we've improved the MSME program, we've given civil servants back their pension and gratuity plan. We are looking to close in on the the ratifying the land issues across the board, as well as having a housing solution. Those five things can be transformed for Turks and Caicos Islanders. That's what we can campaign on today. So that's what we will go to the people with at the very at the very least, right? But that hasn't been continuously communicated on what the, the good works of this government. So again, that's why I sure we'll we'll win and retain government at the very least. So the other two things um, that you mentioned, the vaccine mandate, that is something that we review consistently. Presently, the remainder of the the regulations and into COVID nineteen, which basically are very very thin, are set to to uh, end at December thirty first this year, which is just away about two months away. Now, unless something significant happens, I don't think we will extend beyond. But we are likely to review it a little earlier to see whether or not we want to bring that date up. So I could say that. So it isn't a a hard time, but a, a hard period when we will get rid of it beyond the set date when they are due to expire, but I think we'll review it a little bit earlier than that to see whether or not we want to continue it. And the last thing, the question was um, from Apostle Mills about there being homeless people. So I was responding to that and how those persons would be able to potentially access services from social development or the wellness center um, on the various islands, because she, she specifically mentioned homeless people in Grand Turk. So I was responding to that specifically, as opposed to saying I know of specific homeless people that needs assistance. Well, we have another caller. Caller, go right ahead. Good morning, caller. Well, as you try to get in, um, uh, the tricky... Uh, gosh... <laughs> Anyway, I have to give way to my callers and perhaps leave my thoughts for later. If there is time, caller, go right ahead. Um, Honorable Minister, one more question. With regards to the, the performance of your government thus far, your government basically rode into government on a strong mandate. Secondly, um, we're, we've, you've experienced a very robust economy. But similar to the, the, the previous administration, you've had some challenges. Um, COVID was one of the challenges you had to deal with. On the back end of COVID, um, similarly, we've experienced a hurricane. Um, we also have a situation where violence was 
was impacting the country during that particular time. For the greater component, you've dealt with most of these things. Um, you would have assisted the community through a number of stimuluses that were meant to curb inflation. But unfortunately, we're still at the same point. We're still at the same point where there's still economic volatility with regards to the residents of the country. I understand that the government is in a strong physical position, but unfortunately that hasn't transcended to the everyday citizen. On the back end of the announcement that though the oil-producing countries are going to cut back in terms of oil production in an effort to drive up the cost, which is going to have, again, a negative impact in terms of access to cheaper energy. So we foresee, if that is the case, that all of what you would have done probably wouldn't be as memorable because we're still going to be in a situation where the economy and what have you would need substantive support in terms of people being able to mandate the cost of living. On the back end of that, we have increases with regards to rent. We have increases with regards to um, the national obligations, be it NHIP, be it um, what have you, um, NIB. So the disposable income of families within this country is still outside of what it would like, what people would like for it to be. You guys have spoken to um, the improvements that you've made on the social side, from the social net. You've spoken to the fact that we have a wage, proposed wage increase that is being reviewed. But I would like to see, or I would like to hear from you, outside of all of what you've done, we are still in that sense of volatility. We are, for example, um, we're, we're still open to the external shocks that affect our primary industry, being tourism. When you guys came to government, you spoke of diversification. To date, I've heard no specific policy that speaks to diversification. If at all, where are you with regards to diversifying, diversifying the economy and secondly, addressing this? And the second thing I would want to know is, at one particular instant, you guys were speaking about um, a board-based tax. Is that something that your government is still considering, or is that something at this particular juncture that you've taken off the table and you're not even going to venture into, seeing as the economy is still producing and providing funds that are at relatively high levels? For your many comments, um, Minister Robinson. All right, thank you for the, 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 the question. I'll start with the, 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 the question of a broad-based tax. Now, I know there was a recent CARTEX study that was done on options for revenue raising, right? Now, I don't have preview of that study, and we haven't discussed it in its entirety in cabinet as yet, so I'm, I'm not well-versed in the options being proposed to strengthen our revenue base, given the volatility of our economy, which you um, mentioned. So that's something I will leave for the Premier or the Minister of Finance the next time they are on the expressions or the next... Well, you can ask that question to them when we're in the town hall meeting, I believe, sometime next month, maybe the 17th, I believe. I can't remember the exact date, but I'll, I'll get the date before before I leave in terms of when the Grand Turk town hall meeting would be in terms of the, um, the broad-based tax. In terms of the performance of the government... What people that, or what I would like to remind people, and coming into government in February, February 2021, we put in policies in relation to COVID 19 to be able to ensure we have what is now 
a strong economy based on our tourism product. That didn't just happen. Men and women put their heads together, made tough decisions, and made that happen because we've had several spikes in the numbers during that time, particularly the very vaccine mandate, which persons are now ready to rid of, was the very thing on me coming in to be in a minister. That's literally my first cabinet paper as a minister, having to present that to cabinet, where we decided as a cabinet to put that in, was the very thing that saved our economy. We had a roaring summer, best summer in the history, and here comes Delta to mess all of that up. And there were many who said, let's ride it out. But guess what? Once you already break the camel's back, if we could not get COVID at that time, which was at its deadliest, under control, there would be no reason for people to come to Turks and Caicos because we wouldn't be safe. And I'm the minister, if I may even interject. I recall what I would call some of the prophets of doom who were talking about uh, how, many, how many millions, millions of dollars we were going to lose and people 96 million specifically yeah, we were going to lose I in three months. Then, I said then, if anyone could go back and really recall the expressions of the time, that the reverse would happen because this two traveler would have more confidence in a destination. Exactly. And that is and exactly, exactly what, what happened. happened. Agreed. So, it ain't by chance yeah. we put together what what is our, our, our strong economy. Now, the volatility of the tourism industry is what it is. It's always going to be there, and it's going to be subjected to external shocks. So the war in Ukraine, which is still ongoing, right, impacts our, our disposable income, as you said, as well as we had COVID-19. We just had Fiona. So there's always going to be things to, to, to interrupt our economic activity. But by the grace of God, we always bounce back just as strong and get into a position where we can raise revenue. So that, that's an upside. So in terms of the economic diversification, people might not take this on as the solution, but it is. The focus, which is improving and increasing the grants and the access to capital, with the MSME program, is it? It's more likely that some young genius with the right financial backing of the government and the regulations and the environment will come up with our second and third industries. To believe that a government or any government will be the one to propose and implement the diversification just is not likely to happen, right? Because the think tanks and the broad thinking often comes from private sector outside entrepreneurs. When Mark Zuckerberg and his team left Harvard University to create a little app called Facebook, did anybody think back then that Facebook would be Facebook dominating the whole entire world right now? No. So why can't we put in the seed money to get our Facebook. Imagine if Facebook was a company registered and owned by a Turks and Caicos Islander. Facebook does, what, but three, four, five, twenty times more than we do as a country? Imagine if all of that was coming through here and you had a Mark Zuckerberg, who's a philanthropist, meaning a Turks Islander, Mark Zuckerberg, who's a philanthropist, even could give the government tens of millions of dollars to do whatever 
programs to cover cover these costs. That's where we have to focus on. That's where we have to think, which is why it is important that we made the improvements we made because it can come from this economic thing can come from anywhere. It doesn't have to be the the leaders you elect to come with the diversification, but it's our job to create the environment which will allow for that improvement. So whether it's in the financial sector, whether it's in the tourism sector and, and putting a little bit more sustainable, resilient layers in tourism, whether it's going to sustainable development, whether it's just food security and agriculture, is there a product that the Turks and Caicos can market that is uniquely Turks and Caicos Islands that we can mass produce for the global market? to generate income for our country because the government resources and the government revenue is not the whole economy of the country. That's a portion. So if we can get the environment right, which we are trying to do, right, to be able to get that diversification. So we just have to make those investments and hope that persons take up the opportunity and become global because what we have to do, particularly with the way we think in terms of entrepreneurs and business persons, we are connected globally with everybody. Our market cannot be Turks and Caicos and our 50,000 residents. It must be the 7 billion people on earth. I'm going to ask my listeners and callers to give me just five minutes to get off some things that, um, as the folks in North Caicos like to say, I want to get off my chest and then um, come back. I said earlier on, or I hinted that I was going into a tricky area that some might not be comfortable with me getting into or might not even want me to touch. I am of the view that successive governments have been somewhat complicit in the matter of human trafficking. And what do I mean by that? You go around the islands, particularly Providencialis, to a less extent here in Grand Turk, Somebody has a bar no bigger than this studio. But yet they have 10, 12 women working in there. Some of them have to put up their mother's house to get the visa to come here. And often paying up to $2,000 to begin with. Many of them are promised that they'll get a basic salary of $150. But if they get that for the first week, that's good enough. After that, it's like go for yourself. Or to put it bluntly, you better find a man. And if you look at these establishments, you know very well, and I don't mean you personally, that there is no way those establishments, for instance, could pay those individuals 14 times 150, which let's see, that's something like two, uh, uh, what? That's um, almost $2,000 or 2100 thereabout mm-hmm. uh, for the week. And then I think it has a a little nexus with crime, too. Because some of the fellows who are not hot on their skills in terms of courting women tend to feel, well, if I have the dollars, I could just flash it and get what I want. 
And so many of them not working and don't care to work, they engage in crime to impress these individuals. You see where I'm going with this? Mm -hmm. So the question is, isn't that a matter that government should be addressing? Because we honestly, we know that many of these establishments cannot afford, and it's causing a whole lot of social problems in this country. A whole lot. Many men, rather than maintaining their children, they are wasting their monies in these regards. I always say they are depositing their money in a bank where there is no returns. A couple things on that, Mr. Mr. Hall. First off, we are a country of laws, and we have laws against everything you describe. Those that are those that have the authority and have the responsibility to carry out the laws of the land must do so. That's the first thing. Now, we're not foolish that these things aren't taking place, right? But to that I say, as a country, it hasn't and will not bode well for us to take advantage of people because God does not like ugly. So when you see certain things happening and bubbling up because of social ills that we might participate in or turn a blind eye to, that is the result. So we have to get serious about the type of country we want. In our Constitution, it speaks to being God-fearing country, a Christian nation. We have to look at what Christian values are we promoting or going against with the things that we do. Some of this, what you're talking about, if enforced, will ruffle a lot of feathers. So again, we have to make a determination who we are as a country. Either this is okay and we can legalize it like other countries have or we can say all right well it is not okay and enforce the law and not encourage it or not facilitate it right because human trafficking drug crime all of this is is tied so it isn't just human trafficking by boat where people traffic humans to come in and work and do xyz have a legalish route to be able to endorse it so, I want to make it clear. Serious. I am not saying that the operators of these establishments should not obtain work permit for some workers. Yes, they do require some because Turks and Caicos women or young ladies are not going to work in these establishments. All right? Uh, so, I fully understand that. So, but the point what I'm getting at is the numbers because there is no way that they could provide proper housing for them. So that's a serious question there. No way they could provide proper salaries and the like. And certainly I am concerned about even their health standards because it would seem as if there's a revolving door. They come in for a few months, no checks, no nothing, 
And then when they have done whatever, I don't want to call it, excuse the term, uh, they're gone and another set comes in and this, this thing continues. It, 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 it is vicious in my view. And, you know, I don't want to get into nitty-gritty, but what I hate ever so much is some of these unscrupulous operators. When these girls go out and do whatever the hell they're going to do, they got to get part of the, the, the cash. I mean, that is awful. I mean, you talk about being ugly early on. That is more than ugly. Gosh. Just to touch on the, the health standards portion of your concern, and the, I guess the only loophole is whether or not, and I believe this has been, been outlawed or, or removed as a possibility, the temp permits to be able to temporarily work in, in those establishments. That has been stopped because that would be the only permit where you wouldn't have to be subjected to migrant health standards because a regular permit, you have to do the migrant right. health checks, which will cover TB, MMR, the various uh, vaccine-preventable diseases, as well as the physicals and stuff. So a person coming on a work permit, once they pass and have all their vaccines and all their physicals, they are deemed to be a healthy person that's being entered. So that is a protection that while persons might have been upset of somebody's slowness and the reconfiguring taking place inside of the migrant health unit, that is something that is needed because we want to protect the population from vaccine-preventable diseases. Now, the good news, and again, we are working government, hopefully by the end of next month, early December, I'm pleased to say that we are on the crops of going digital, where every application can be done online. No longer will an individual have to walk through the office or give his, his or her applications to uh, agent or directly to the the medical facility to submit on their behalf, you'd be able to do that themselves. And this is something that's been an ongoing project for some time for the people in the Ministry of Health as well as the Department of E-Governance Technology and Innovation. So I want to say kudos publicly to both sets of staff, my staff as well as the staff with the, the old computer unit, even though they got fancy name now, <laughs> all that long talk, that's the old uh, computer unit guys because they've worked hard. So that's improvement. That is the beginnings of e-governance. That's what these things look like. So we are making some headway in some areas across government because it's about ease of governance with that E. So not only electronic, but ease of governance. So appreciate all the hard work those guys have been doing, the Andres, the Elwoods, and, and Alrises, the Jeremys, all those persons who've been working months and months on getting that system up. We are literally almost there, and then we could turn our back and ensure not only that it's easy for you as a consumer, but it's easy for us as persons ensuring that there's no corruption within that department or apartments going across government, which is why e-governance is so important, not only for easement of of the the general public, but to ensure on the back end that persons 
or that we are able to stamp out corruption that we know happens from time to time to time. Well, it's just about 15 minutes to go. It's funny how time slips away. I still have a couple or rather many other questions because, like I say, part of this is we want to get to know the members uh, much more in a personal way. But let me read some of the comments that have come in and then I'll get back to that. Whilst I understand Grand Turk cries, especially being the capital, what about the other islands like South or Middle Caicos? Grand Turk had its time to shine and still, to a certain extent, and still is, but there are islands who never shone. Therefore, the government should seek ways to promote each island's strengths and work on its weaknesses. And each mem MP should host quarterly meetings with their constituents to keep them informed and make use of social media. Honorable Minister, you can respond while I take just a brief break. No problem. I could agree with you in terms of the town hall meetings and the broadness of ensuring that all islands are highlighted and all islands get shine. Um, and I think that's something that we will do and we are doing. The talk about Grand Turk is particularly Grand Turk Selva and Salky because of the start of the beautification and enhancements for both islands, and that's the strategy we are working on. And it's more because of the, the size of those three locations where it is easier to do. So we need to make progress. So the, hence the focus on those three islands. So it wouldn't be just Grand Turk alone. It will be South Caicos because South Caicos as well has a number of um, issues when it comes to the environment as well where we need beautification and enhancements on the island of South Caicos as well because it is a beautiful township in South and I always enjoy my time in South Caicos, and it's an easy um, island to navigate. It's very organized, much like the way Grand Turk is organized. We have your town center and your various buildings and your, your, your connectivity. So it isn't a case where we are not, as a government, focusing on all islands. Now, what we have to ensure in terms of the communications, as I would have said, is that we do have more town hall meetings. So we're going to do that globally as a government, but I can tell you, um, Honorable Kyle Knowles is, some, is a person who has had several town hall meetings with his constituencies, and I think all MPs should follow suit because they have been important. I've been invited to several of them. I've spoken at one um, to deal with health issues, the dump, and, and stuff like that. So... What I would encourage my colleagues to do, particularly MPs, um, whether you're a minister or not, to host town hall meetings in your constituency because that'll be a good stopgap until in, in between when the government proper holds town halls across the board. Because if you think about it, Providenciales has six constituencies. We're going to have one meeting for Provo. All six constituencies coming to one meeting, everybody won't get their answers done at that one night of meetings. But if you have a Wheeling Town Hall, you have a Blue Hills Town Hall, Cheshire Hall, Leeward Long Bay, um, Debite, etc., Five Keys, if each of those have a town hall meeting in the areas that you believe are most pertinent as the MP. You just ask the minister for that area to come. You don't need all of us there. If you think health care is the main thing for Blue Hills residents, 
Brady Minister of Health. If you think works and contracts and stuff is the biggest issue for Grand Tuck North, um, bring PPID. Let me hurriedly ask, um, read another comment and then follow up with a question because we have just 10 minutes to go. Um, and this person texts to say, Good morning, Honorable Hall. Could you ask, Honorable Minister, about what is in place for children who may be in situations where sexual and other violent acts are faced by the little ones? Is there a program to move them immediately to safety? What is being worked on if that is not in place? Further, is there anything in place to deal with the mental health of these abused children? Is this something that is front and center on the table of discussion? In terms of the sexual abuse and violence, there is a unit within the police force that deals with the reporting and assessing of those situations and intervention. I can't remember the name of the unit specifically. It's headed by... Um, I think Superintendent Irene Butterfield, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not sure yes. if it's, she's a superintendent, but Officer Butterfield is the person. So you can make the reports to um, the police, and they will intervene. And, of course, you, don't, you wouldn't expect uh, a child to do the reporting. So an adult who is aware of the abuse that is taking place um, should be able to make the reports, and, and they have their mechanism by which they can do the interviews of the child and gather the evidence and prosecute any offenders. So that is a, a well, well-oiled structure that takes place. And I believe a part of that system in terms of the counseling and the help, mental health and otherwise, is, is available through that mechanism because while it is housed in the police, there are other agencies that support the work that they do from social development, from uh, the Ministry of Health, Mental Health, all of the agencies work under the umbrella of the police to be able to, I believe it's called the, safe, the Child Safeguarding Sexual Offenses and Safeguarding Unit. I know it's close to it. That is the name of the unit within the um, police force that deals with it. And, and it is a cross-section of agencies and departments within the government that has a role to play, including the Ministry of Health. So that is something that is established and is available. So once the reports are made, investigations are done, and you would do your darndest to pull those children out of that environment once it is confirmed that something has taken place or is taking place. In terms of trying to get to know you better, let me get on to uh, one or two more questions before time runs out. Now we know that homosexuality exists, not just in the world, but here in the Turks and Caicos Islands. So there's, uh, and when I say that, uh, lesbianism, uh, where, well, girls are taking the liking for girls and guys taking liking to guys, etc. What is your stance with regards to same-sex marriage and or civil union? And I say this because I am of the view, with the way the world is trending, and particularly Europe, the UK, pretty soon you in the House of Assembly may be faced with that very, very matter. What is your stance? I'm a believer in God Almighty. I'm a practicing, well, not a good practicing Anglican, but I am Anglican, and I believe that marriage is between man, a woman, and a woman. 
Now, when it comes to civil unions, I understand that that is an option because I, I don't get into the what persons do in their private time in their own bedrooms once it's between consenting adults. That is not for me to decide or judge. But if you are in a long-term relationship, you need a mechanism that the court can allow your property and your your assets to be divided or administered on appropriately without there being any concerns that the person you might be in a long-term relationship, if they leave, that you will be left holding the bag. Let's say in the example that one of the persons are um, is a more affluent person and their them and their partner lives together for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years in a union or a partnership and then one person dies, the affluent person passes away and the will is challenged because there is no marriage per se and then there's no option for a civil union or anything that you can say, okay, well, this person is the one I, ha I want to have my assets when I leave, right? I believe that's wrong because if you both build assets together, a person should have the right and access to it after one leaves this world. Now, again, what you do in your private time and the privacy of your bedroom between two consenting adults, that's not my business. It's not my prerogative. I know what I practice as a Christian-ish person. Christian-ish. Well, I, I, when I say Christian-ish, right, for me... You're careful on that one. No, no, no. I, I, I say that because I know Christianity and the sacredness of being a Christian. Yes. And I'm not a fully practicing to the T Christian. I so I wouldn't want to put myself in the same light or the same sentence as a person who is that committed, right? So I have Christian values. I believe in Christian principles and all that. So that's why I say Christian is not to be funny, but that's why I, I would say that as opposed to, okay, well, I'm a sinner and a heathen. I'm not a sinner or a heathen either. So okay, I follow I, I, Christian I, I principles. Got you. You so, so I'm hearing you say then, in other words, if, if it came to a vote in the House of Assembly, you would oppose same-sex marriage, but you're likely to vote for civil union. Correct. Okay, good. Uh, we are almost out of time, so just one or two other comments. Um, there is a big debate going on and is featuring with the midterm elections in the United States, the overturning of Roe v. Wade. You know, we're in the United States where abortion was, was legal on demand. And um, while it is not legal in Turks and Caicos, I have no doubt there might have been individuals from TI who go over there for such uh, procedure. Uh, are you a supporter of abortion? Getting to know you. No. Okay. <laughs> Again, personally, if I were in the circumstance, I wouldn't be a proponent of. Well, I have a wife now, so I it, it doesn't. So if I wasn't married, I guess even in marriages, abortions do happen. I guess in some fixed cases, I'm not a proponent of abortions or aborting. Um, babies, but again, that's a personal choice um, for persons to make that decision. Um, a woman's body is her right to determine 
Now, I would like to think in consultation with the father of the child because it is both of them that would have to, to raise the child or, well, one of them would do the aborting. But I think that's a discussion those persons would have to have on whether to bring forth um, a child into this world, which is a serious, serious business. So personally, I wouldn't. But in some instances, the man doesn't have much say at any rate on whether or not they, a woman could abort or should abort. You can be a part of it um, in discussion, but it, it isn't really a really your choice. It's really a woman's right to choose. Now, that choice isn't available here in the Turks and Caicos, as you said. It's not something that is legally done here, but it is available to be done um, in other jurisdictions. And like you said, it has happened. And people have done illegal abortions in country as well. So it's not foreign to us here in the Turks and Caicos Islands, but I'm not the one who will be raising your child. So you would have to know whether or not you're in a position to bring that child forth in the world because we all want the best for our children. So that's why practicing safe sex and planned parenthood, making sure you know um, what you're doing in bringing forth a child is very important. So I would encourage persons to, to know, um, try not to be in a position where a pregnancy happens spontaneously. If, if you want to go down that route where you and your partner are in a loving relationship and you want to have a child, whether after marriage or while you're in a committed relationship or partnership, I think that's something you should discuss beforehand. We have only two, about two minutes to go, so let me just um, give you about 45 seconds to wrap up. And in so doing, because when almost everything is lost, all we have left is hope. Give us something to hope for as a country. Thank you, Mr. Hall, and thanks all the thank to all the listeners who have um, tuned in today. While we are in a period of turmoil throughout the world and in the Turks and Caicos Islands, I believe that the progressive government that you have in place right now, we are doing our best, and we will continue to push for the people of the the islands. When we get our communications in order, persons will be able to clearly see that all big ticket items that we promised that we will deal with, we are addressing. So land, which is transformational, that is the ground beneath your feet. If you want to call yourself man or woman, you must have control and ownership of your land. We're getting ever closer to doing that. People who have titles of land where they need to be able to pay for freehold title and have it at an affordable rate, we're that much closer to making that a reality. We were having a discussion with a person in our office at the Ministry of Health this morning, and she was ecstatic that she didn't go to school and stayed home during the Michael Mizek administration because she's now the owner of land and a house. We are her counterparts who did go to school, can't afford to have land in a house in the new regime. So think about that. She's going on to get her education now, which is good. Sure. Right? So that so the education part is important, but the time frame in which she was home and able to access land 
make the biggest difference in her life today. So we have to get to a place, and I believe we will do so, where Turks and Caicos Islands have access to their land because that is the foundation of family, and family is the foundation of society and country. And this government will deliver that. Well, we'll do that quick, fast, and hurry, as they would say. And finally, finally, as Bob's would say, and this is just a yes or no question because we are ending the show. Am I looking at another contender for leadership of the PNP? Yes or no? I can't give you that as a yes or no, not to doctor question, but all I would say is that the party has a constitution and we have a process for selecting the party leader, and that is coming up. Um, it has to be at least three, sorry, a year out before. So, and anyone who's a delegate, including yourself, would be eligible to vie for leadership of the party. So when that time comes, then all those persons who have a want for being the next leader of the party um, can do so. But my focus now is to be in the best all-island MP that there is in representing the people across the country and being the best minister of health as long as the premier has confidence that I can do the job. Well, with that, I want to thank you ever so much, Honorable Jamal Robinson. Uh, it has been a little bit of fun as far as I'm concerned. And I am thankful to the public for their participation, several calls. And I wish you and your ministry nothing but the best. Join me again on Friday, God Spares Life, when we hope to have yet another very informative, entertaining, and educational expressions. God bless you.